This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Improve your development skills by completing coding exercises that are peer-reviewed by real humans. Learn more at upcase.com. Giant robots smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. My name is Ben Orenstein, and I'm here today with Justin Gitlin. Hey, Justin. Hi. Uh, so you're in Denver, right? We're in Denver. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and what are you doing out there in Denver? So I am a partner at a company called Modeset, uh, which is a software consultancy, kind of, uh, you know, not too dissimilar from a ThoughtBot. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, we work on uh, all sorts of projects. We mostly work on tech startup products. And uh, I was actually just out in Boston for a video game project that I've been working on um, over the last couple of years. And we also, uh, of note, have built something called Ello, which is a social media that's gotten some media attention. Yeah. So yeah, so we sort of we build a, a variety of things. We're really uh, excited about the product space, and you know, and then just uh, we will fill in for other companies where they need some uh, development help. That's interesting. So how much uh, time and focus has Ello uh, taken these days? Um, well, so I'm actually transitioning off pretty soon, full time. Like I've been pretty much full time on it since uh, September ish. So. And that's been most of my Modeset team. We've sort of cycled off as we've built up a, a, an internal development team. Um, so Ello now has uh, a number of developers, and uh, and we're sort of at, at the point where we're transitioning off, and it, and it feels really good. We've found some amazing people who really believe in the spirit of what Ello is all about. And, you know, I'm sure you guys know how difficult it is to find great developers who are willing to leave their job and so it's uh it's it's been a pretty amazing yeah so what is that spirit that elo is all about um the spirit the spirit is not being creepy not mining your data not manipulating you with algorithms um respecting your privacy not tracking you as you you know cruise around the, inter- the internet and uh yeah just not selling your your soul i guess uh to mm-hmm. advertisers or whoever you know is paying big bucks for people's internet uh, and uh, browsing and personal data. Yeah. So, so the plan is to keep it ad-free and non-spy-y and uh, charge people money for features. And is that is that accurate? That's that's the general plan. Yeah. Yeah. What a, yep. what a weird model. I know. You know. And it's like it's it's been interesting because there's been a lot of uh, skepticism. You know, which uh, in the social media space, I guess, might be founded. But in a broader sense, you know, there are plenty of industries that do have a successful model uh, in the way that we're proposing. So it's been interesting to see the such hard line skepticism just because of the space that we're in. Yeah, I mean, I, I have, I'll be honest, I, I have to uh, eat my words because I was one of those skeptics. We had a little uh, debate in uh, our uh, company Slack. And I was like, I'm, I'm sure they want to not have ads and want to not track people and whatnot. But I, I, my suspicion was that you would end up being forced to. Um, but to your credit, uh, you guys came out with and put it put it in writing and said, "Look, we're not going to do this." Right. We literally uh, contractually obligated ourselves to never show ads, never sell data, to not be creepy. So we will either make it work or uh, die trying. Yeah. But, you know, conceptually. Kudos to all of you for for going to that level. I was I was I was wrong, and I'm I'm, I'm happy to be wrong. That's an amazing thing for you to say. I mean, I don't, I don't know that I would say you were wrong, but it's, you know, I, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, we're, we're, we really believe in it and, and we've assembled a team of people that are really all about it and truly believe in it. And it's a really kind of cool thing that we've built over here. So we're, we're working 
working as quickly as we can. We're about to relaunch the, um, the next version of Ello to the web. Mm -hmm. And then in about a month or a little more than a month, we should have the, uh, the iOS app out, which, you know, that's going to be a boon to the platform and, and get a lot more uh, people using it. And, you know, mm -hmm. we've heard a lot of people, you know, I don't say that they don't use uh, social media on their computer. They just want it on their phone. So, yeah. And, but, you know, we can't, once the media picked us up, it's like, oh, all right, I guess we now need to focus on that. And building an app takes a little time. So, yeah. So we've been working hard on it. So one thing I'm realizing is we didn't really talk about what Ello is. Can you give us kind of a high-level overview? Sure. So Ello.co. Uh, don't go to Ello.com. Uh, <laughs> okay. it's, uh, it's essentially a social network. Uh, some people would call it that. And the media picked it up around September of last year um, and started billing it as the anti-Facebook. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people decided, oh, it's the new Facebook. I'm just going to go over there and try it out. And it's absolutely not Facebook. It has some vague similarities, but it's more of a, like I've been seeing it more of something between like a Twitter and a Tumblr and an Instagram almost where, you know, people are posting art. You can follow people. They don't necessarily have to follow you back. It's a great place to, to write things and post big, nice images and sort of create blog-like posts. Mm -hmm. So it's very much not Twitter either. You know, a lot of people were like, oh, I'm not going to switch to Ello from Twitter, but it's totally different. You can write, you know, as many characters as you want. You can embed nice big images and, and have it flow much more like a blog. Um, but, you know, but a lot of those social interactions are there. You can mention people. You can type emojis. You can follow people. You can do all those, you know, a lot of those things that you can do elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's just, a, and we build it as a simple ad-free social network at the beginning. And now we're sort of, you know, as we've seen people use it, um, we've had a lot of great uh, iterative product design going on with, you know, a pretty sizable beta user base from all the exposure that we got in September. So it's been really fun to sort of quickly respond to how people are using it and just seeing how it's evolved. And we've, you know, I think what we always, at, at ModeSet, what we all always tell our clients is that, you know, you might think that you have a, the perfect idea for your app, but as you get it in front of people, you're going to, you know, see that change pretty rapidly. So let's get it in front of people as quickly as possible, even if it's not all the way there. Um, because if it was all the way there, then you have the, you probably have the wrong thing before you actually unleash it on people. Yep. So, so we've we, been say, we say the same all the time. I'm sure. Yeah. And so it's been such a, a cool experience to see that in practice with such a, such a huge beta user base mm -hmm. of you know, using it in all these ways that you'd never expect because of the variety of people that have showed up. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to me when you have a, a narrative that fits with a certain with the, with the, something a story that someone wants to tell. Like this is what are you? This is the anti Facebook. Like I know that you're, that's not really what you are, but you you fit into that narrative that someone wants to be able to tell. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting how that can be. I mean, that turned out to be really beneficial for you guys in some ways. Uh -huh. Yes. Totally. Because, you know, there's there's surely a lot of frustration with the social media space and, and sort of the privacy issues and sort of the, you know, censorship issues, things like that. Like, LO allows nudity. Um, mm -hmm. Things like that. You can, uh, you know, the, actually the, the, the first big bump that we got. Uh, that sort of led to the explosion of media coverage in September and October was the Facebook real name policy had mm. just been been sort of recognized as as something that was harmful to people who didn't want to use their real name um, yep. and and you know as a as a matter of privacy or, and safety that that was sort of the the big first story like you can be who you want to be over here. Unfortunately, it was also paired with this sort of concocted narrative that we're the new Facebook, which we're like we never ever wanted that to be the story but yeah it was just such a such a runaway thing that happened with the media but yeah but it was 
uh, people really latched onto that story, and it was it was really timely. Um, and I think more and more, you know, you're seeing these stories of how these big social media companies and other uh, web-based services are are sort of treating your personal data and doing these things that you wouldn't necessarily agree with if you were able to understand and ever possibly read all of the fine print. Mm-hmm. And I think. We're so, you know, addicted to these free services. They're just so amazing. I mean, all the stuff that Google and Facebook give, give us, they're, you know, these services are unbelievable, but mm-hmm. they, come, they come at a price. The whole free thing is not so free. Mm. Um, and some, you know, and I'll, most people don't really even think about those things. And it's just like, sweet, I've got this great thing and I'll use it. But, you know, I think there's a growing number of people that maybe do care more about these topics. And that's, that's probably the, the people that are showing up at Ello who are excited to start extracting themselves, you know, out of those systems. Sure. So you, you mentioned that you're about to launch a new version. What's, what's changing? Um, the whole front end. Oh boy. Um, yeah. Uh, which is great because, you know, we had built a, we had built a thing and then all of a sudden we had millions of people on it mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, we realized that with all the devices that they were using and the ways that they were using it, we, the thing that we had built sort of quickly with a pretty small budget up front wasn't as sustainable as we would have liked. And so now we've sort of gone back, revamped a lot of, uh, things about the UI that were sort of pain points for a lot of users, especially mobile users. We've added a, a whole bunch of new features in the process because, you know, with all this feedback that we've gotten over the last bunch of months, you know, we've figured out the major pain points that people were having with, with the initial version. And so we've gone back and just fixed a ton of things, just smoothed out all of the sort of stumbling blocks that people had uh, using the site in the first uh, version. So, mm-hmm. any, any fear that people will not like the new version? So we've been doing uh, user tests. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've actually got some really great people over here that are doing one-on-one interviews with a lot of our uh, sort of heaviest users mm-hmm. um, and just sort of, sort of random users as well. So we had a little party here a couple weeks ago. We had a bunch of people show up at our office nice. and, uh, and we had one-on-one interviews with them and it was a, a really wide variety of, of people who use the sites. You know, I think one of, the, one of the users that blew my mind the most is uh, sort of an older guy, only has vision in one of his eyes, okay. uh, has a really hard time like seeing the buttons and things on Ello. Like Ello is very uh, grayscale. Huh. Uh, there are some light grays on the site that people have had problems with. But this guy loves Ello, and we we found out that he didn't even really get some of the core concepts of how to use Ello. But he loves it so much, which is huh. sort of something that you wouldn't. I, I would tend to think that someone who loves your platform sort of gets it inside and out. They know how to use it. They're a power user. But this guy, like, he really didn't know how to use it very well, but he just loved it. So that was an interesting kind of a person to test with. Did he love it because his his friends were on it? No, I think he just loved the vibe. You know, the the other people who are posting on Ello, it's a lot of uh, creative types, a lot of photographers, artists. Um, That's sort of our core user base for Mm -hmm. the most part right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's... pretty sure that's why he really liked it it's mm-hmm. just a really really cool little creative community right now it's interesting that you mentioned like the, the visual thing I, I never think about that and just today someone tweeted at me and be like hey thanks for having a blog design that's easy for people with visual impairments to read and i was like oh yeah i mean that's yeah. it's it's so easy to forget about groups of people on the internet that are not like yourself right the natural tendency is like this works for me therefore it's probably gonna work for everyone but it's it's Definitely. such a narrow point of view and it's it's but it's it's hard to break out of Definitely. And there, you know, there are all sorts of different uh, ways to be accessible. And it's, yeah. you know, it's hard to wrangle, especially when you're, you know, working under a, a limited uh, budget or have only so much time and resource to put into something. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a bummer, but 
that's sort of one of the things that might get left to the last, you know, bucket of features that you want to get in there. But it's true. But it's important. Yeah. So you mentioned that you were you were in Boston for a game design project. You want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. So, uh, so this project's called Oh Heck Yeah, um, and it nice. started off. It started as a, a public art project last summer in Denver. So, uh, the guy who who started and sort of runs Oh Heck Yeah, Brian Corrigan, he applied for an art grant, um, a public art grant through Art Place America. Um, art Place America is a an organization that gives out, I think, around fifteen million dollars uh, across the country to tens of different uh, public art uh, projects mm-hmm. around the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so. So in 2013, we were awarded the grant um, as one of three Colorado uh, grantees. And that was the first time any of this uh, art place money had entered Colorado. So mm. it was a pretty, pretty cool thing. We had the mayor show up at our press release. Nice. And so our, our project was that we were going to use the power of play uh, to connect people on the street. So that play was uh, uh, provided via uh, Kinect-based video games that were displayed on gigantic LED screens downtown. So think of, you know, using the screens in Times Square. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Denver doesn't have quite a Times Square, but we have these gigantic LED screens sort of scattered around downtown Mm -hmm. that just show advertisements all day. So we worked with the city, um, and we had... We'd worked with the city on sort of one-off art projects on these screens in the past. So we mm-hmm. had all the connections. Brian had, uh, had worked in city government with uh, Arts and Venues Denver, which sort of controls a lot of uh, the programming that happens on the streets downtown. Mm-hmm. And so worked with the city a bunch. They were super supportive, uh, raised an additional bit of money. We, we got a $200,000 grant from Art Place America and built three uh, Kinect-based video games that were on three consecutive street corners uh, downtown mm-hmm. two, ni- two nights a week for two months uh, for four hours at a time. Hmm. So last, last summer was pretty intense for me, but it was incredible. We had tens of thousands of people just come by, start playing with each other. Like I, when I was building this thing, you, you kind of mentioned it. You, you imagine people are like you, but they are very much not. And yeah. We had families coming down. These games were all very kid-friendly, uh, really sort of cute graphics, really easy to understand, very simple sort of casual games. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had No families. Dwarf Fortress? I don't know what that is. Okay. It sounds sound, sounds the opposite violent. of what you described. <laughs> um, but, um, but we had you know, families down on the streets, downtown Denver at 10, 11 o'clock at night. It went from 7 to 11 p.m. And this, these were a couple streets that really were... There wasn't a whole lot going on. Slightly sketchy for as far as Denver could be sketchy at, mm-hmm. at, at night. And yeah, families down there playing with homeless people, playing with you know tech people like myself, playing with whoever showed up. It was a really amazing sort of amalgamation of just the cross-section of people who wanted to play. And they, were, they played with each other. And you saw people who didn't know each other high-fiving, hugging each other. Nice. Um, and we, uh, we did it for two months and got some coverage by NPR, which was kind of amazing. We had a little PBS special. Uh, filmed cool. with us and yeah it was really really kind of amazing so we based on the NPR coverage we uh, were discovered by the folks at Northeastern University uh-huh. and so a couple weeks after the NPR piece ran they found us and asked us to come talk to them so we talked to them and they uh, they have a great game design program at Northeastern um, so they invited us to bring Ohakia to Northeastern and integrate with their uh, game design program. So Brian and I uh, were out in Boston teaching some classes with their game design program, sort of teaching them about all of the sort of unique challenges of building a video game for the street that's made to be played by, you know, four-year-olds to 80-year-olds, which mm-hmm. we did have people, you know, through that whole range playing with each other. Yep. And, you know, dealing with, you know, you're talking about physical computing, you're 
We're talking about, you know, the Kinect cameras, sort of unique uh, input devices into a computer, spatial challenges, uh, you know, crowd control, things that you don't really think about when you think about, like, indie game development. So yeah. it a, it's a pretty unique project to, to share with the students. They got really jazzed on it. Um, and so this, uh, this class that we've been working with, the students have been building as their sort of main assignment of this class, building their own oh yeah type games. So how can we build a game for, you know, the masses that's playful, that isn't, you know, a first person shooter blowing each other up? Like how can we build community or, uh, have people, you know, gain something more than, uh, an adrenaline rush by playing with each other. Yeah. Very cool. So yeah, so we're and and the final goal. So I was just uh, I gave them sort of their final assignment this week, and uh, they're going to commit code to the Ohekia code base, which is all open source as part of our public art project. We decided this that the whole Ohekia project would be open source. They uh, I sort of taught them the workflow of creating pull requests on GitHub. They're all uh, these different groups are building different components of sort of graphical components of this game that we're bringing to Northeastern um, in about a month. So. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. It's interesting. We just sort of got into game development uh, ourselves a little bit. Uh, yeah. We re- I think Tom. Yeah. Uh, we released this game called Rototo, which actually is now available in the App Store. Um, That's yeah, thank you. Well, I'll download it. Yeah. We're, we're excited to, to have it out there in the world. But this is a first, to- a first for us, uh, spearheaded by the Stockholm office. They're like, we want to make a game. And cool. lo and behold, it happened. Awesome. So, how did how did it turn out? Uh, I think it's pretty cool, actually. Um, I haven't downloaded it from the App Store yet. I've seen a lot of gameplay videos, and the, the buzz seems to be positive. So I'm looking cool. forward to trying it firsthand. Very cool. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, it's it's fun. That's how I you know I got into programming via game development. Um, I uh, was a computer science major and failed out of my first class, and definitely struggled until I really fortunately got a, a an internship making Shockwave games. Back in '99, uh, nice. Um, and I realized, oh man, coding can be really fun. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. And before that, I just I was just lost. And uh, you know, I think the I, I had a bit of a design background. I'm a musician, so it was sort of a, a combination of all these sort of different elements that made me realize, oh, this is fun. Yeah. So speaking of development stuff, if you were going to sort of pitch me on like joining a team, for example, like what is what is your superpower? What is your what is the thing that you're in development wise? What ability enhances the rest of the team? <laughs> me personally or yeah. oh wow um uh i guess number one i get along with people mm-hmm. <laughs> that's really important yeah you seem easy to easy to chat with yeah you know that's so important and i've been doing it long enough to you know be able to throw myself into any sort of ui uh type of problem and, and just hack on it till it's done mm-hmm. i'm i'm very non-dogmatic <laughs> nice that's that's big for <laughs> with, us with my tools yeah I, you know, we are Modeset is a, a Ruby on Rails shop. I'm I'm very much the one person who has almost no Rails experience. I can hack my way around, you know, our Hamel templates and you know know enough about setting up a project and things like that. But it's just there's there's so much in the UI and gaming world that I've been focused on that it's yeah. you know you just can't do it all. Yeah. So let, let me actually flip this question a little bit. And uh, sure. so so what are the what kind of advice do you find yourself giving the students at Northeastern? Like what kind of things are they struggling with? Oh man, you know the students are so smart. It's it's mind blowing how I you know I think back to when I was a computer science student, and you know the world has just changed so much. Uh, you know we used to read books, and like I can't imagine handing one of those <laughs> students a book mm-hmm. on like how to find some you know code answers. Um, That's so funny. Yes. Books are still pretty great though. The books are great. Totally, it's a different thing. You know, it's it's not like the fast answer resource that I usually go to, but it, they're they're wonderful. <laughs> Fair enough, especially more for conceptual things, right? Yep. 
the 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 jump in quality from like I've been like sort of piecing together an education from blog posts to someone has written a book here that's gotten been published like is is pretty substantial. Sure, definitely. Yeah, uh, man. I mean, I, I would just tell them to just be non-dogmatic, be learning all the time, just experiment late at night. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of the skills that I've learned that are now sort of weirdly in demand, like sort of in the creative coding realm, mm-hmm. you know, sort of making magic on a web page or in a video game with, uh, you know, graphical techniques or sort of interesting UI interactions or more experimental input or behavior on a, on a website. You know, all that stuff I learned after hours at two in the morning just because I just wanted to learn some weird new stuff. Yeah. That, that I think is actually really important, that like willingness to go teach yourself things and to branch out and try new stuff. I think that's huge. Totally. I think that's the biggest piece of advice I would give. Gotcha. You're also a musician. I am a musician. I've sort of dropped off quite a bit okay. with, uh, you know, with the LO thing. And you know, I've been finding a lot more satisfaction with the world of creative coding versus creative musicianing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, far fewer people doing it, so it's more of sort of an arcane thing right now. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's a growing field, but it's still more unique than, I think, being a musician, which is, it's, it's a bummer to say. Like, I, you know, when I was really, really into being a musician, I, I've played hundreds of shows around Denver. I've played in Boston. I've played uh, at South by Southwest. Um, like, I was really trying to be a... a a musician that was out there in the world putting out albums and, you know, getting popular and all that. But it's just so, you know, with the, with things like SoundCloud, you know, the tools uh, to make music have become so freely available that like just everybody's doing it and it's so hard to stand out. And, you know, unless you're a 20 year old, you know, with few responsibilities and you can sort of be on the internet all day promoting your stuff, it's just really hard to, to get people to listen to your stuff. Yeah. Um, And it's not, it's very, uh, much less uh, a profitable endeavor than writing code. So I've found that these creative coding exercises that I have gotten myself into after hours become something that is actually valuable and that people will pay for and pay for that creativity that is really hard to find paying work for in the music world. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just been something that I've, yeah, it, it's so much easier to go down that path. Yeah. Though I, I did write the music for the uh, video game that we're bringing to Northeastern. Oh, cool. Yeah, so it's a nice little so, intersection. Of- yeah, so I think that's that's sort of where I want to go with the the music is writing music for these sort of multimedia code based experiences. Mm-hmm. It's nice having sort of a orthogonal sets of skills like that that you can just sort of jump in and be like, actually, I know how to make music. I'll make the music for this thing. Yeah, and I, I guess that's another piece of advice. Thinking about thinking about what I would tell my students is, mm-hmm. you know, the more the more you know about all these different fields, the more you find yourself or can find yourself in a niche that you're sort of the only person to go to. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's been true for, for my career for sure. Like just knowing about, you know, video formats and audio formats and being able to catch the musical vibe and just know that, yes, this is like a, a holistic experience that we've built that makes sense. And, and, you know, being able to spot those things, it, you know, has led me to be able to, to create these cool things that I love to create. Yeah. I've uh, been rereading this book that I really enjoyed by Scott Adams, the guy that made Dilbert called how oh. to and it's called roughly like how to fail at nearly everything and still win big something like that <laughs> um and it's a great book highly recommended and uh he has this chapter in there which he says roughly like uh, every additional skill you learn that's very different from your other skills doubles your chances of success and totally agree I to, yeah I, I that really rings true to me as well like that you just when you have these different it's like you just sort of mul- like multiplying the area of your of your ability and then you square it and then you cube like cube it <laughs> and then you know all this stuff is happening it's it's i think there's a lot of truth in that yeah. I mean, like I said, I failed my first computer science class. It, you know, development has not come easy to me. I've 
been a professional for about 15 or 16 years now. And I, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm a, I'm a decent developer now mm-hmm. after that long. But I feel like there are people who could have done it, you know, who could have been developing for three years that would be far better than I am. Yeah. So, but it's this combination of skills that have sort of landed me where I've, where I've been. Yep. And it's hard to know where those, those new skills are going to be useful or take you. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's worth kind of following your passion on those things. Like, like spend the time at night, spend the time on the weekends and and just learn them. And don't even worry if you don't necessarily see a path where it's like A plus B plus C is going to equal something useful. Exactly. Totally. There's this great speech that Steve Jobs gave to, I think at Stanford, like a graduation address. And he talks about how randomly he decided to take a calligraphy class. Mm. And uh, that that sort of kicked off his love of like great typefaces. And because of that, the very first Mac had, you know, the best typefaces in the world or something like that. And it's like, you know, you would never you could never have predicted that. But because it happened by happenstance, it, it worked out great. Right. And think of just what that, you know, attention to design did for the Apple brand. Mm hmm. Totally. I mean, that was surely, you know, that set off probably their whole lineage of being at the at, at the forefront of computer design mm-hmm. yeah so it's it's again so you don't have to see where where the end is just sort of follow some passions and, and put them together and see what happens totally and, and I've, I've said this before but I, I think when you mix in a couple skills plus programming the programming tends to be a force multiplier on everything else um, like if you're a musician, uh, that's kind of whatever but if you're a musician who also knows how to write code suddenly you, it opens up a whole different world to you Right. Yeah, you can do things that other musicians could never even really dream about. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. so taking start with programming and then and then throw in the other, <laughs> other stuff you like, or the other way around, of course, is a really nice way to to tackle this. I think. Yeah, and I tell people all the time: learn how to program. It can only make your life better. Yeah. I mean, every you know, more and more, we're just pulling out our phone to do everything. So, if you can control that phone, then you're in pretty good shape. Big time. Yeah. Totally agree. Uh, anything else that we should cover any like major parts of your life or things you want to talk about or plug or i guess uh i'll plug uh you know this is for colorado people but i'm doing a, I'm, I'm currently building an audio uh and light installation for uh this uh, electronic and digital art music uh festival that's happening here in uh boulder colorado mm-hmm. just up the road in about a, oh god like two weeks okay so i mean like april 16th or so 15th 16th 17th something like that it's okay. the community festival so I'm using the technology that we built uh, in the Ohekia project to sort of wrangle connect data and make it uh, really simple to sort of turn somebody's body into a joystick. Nice. Um, I'm using that then to control uh, DMX lighting. So DMX is the, sort of the, the standard protocol for stage lighting. So if you've ever gone to a concert, pretty much all those lights are run off of a protocol called DMX. And that's what those big light boards are sending. They're sending out DMX signals to all those uh, daisy-chained uh, lights around the stage. So I've, I've gotten a little USB uh, DMX box that sends out uh, data to different lights. So it's going to be something where you... You can have up to four people standing in front of this connect mm-hmm. that power these uh, DMX lights that are at the bottom of eight-foot-tall plastic tubes. Um, so each person is going to be controlling a big tube of light in front of them, and each tube will be emitting a different note. So the, the goal is uh, it's similar to, to the Ohekia project in spirit, but it's uh, without a screen and more sort of a physical uh, environmental uh, installation. So that's sort of where I'm going. So there'll be like a quartet of music being played by people's body joysticks? Yep. Cool. 
<laughs> so, I should. Uh, then, so I sing in a barbershop quartet. We should uh, come out to Denver and manipulate these things for you. Oh, you can sing along. Yeah, exactly. That'd be pretty yeah. fun. Yeah, and that's that's sort of where I, I that's where I'm interested in going, just uh, in a personal artistic uh, area, just gotcha. sort of using using these same technologies that are you know viable to sell to a startup or to teach people things in class. Also to use in, uh, you know, just purely artistic methods. Mm-hmm. So can, can you spell the name of that festival thing? Or? It's Communikey. So it's like community, but with key. Like okay, gotcha. K-E-Y. So that's happening in Boulder. It's the final year that they're doing it. It's the eighth year. They've gotten some great press and been recognized internationally for, for their festival. They have great acts come sort of experiment. It's all very experimental, sort of edgy stuff. Cool. Um, yeah, not, not your big stage festival with you know, people that you hear on the radio, but more of an artsy kind of thing. Okay. But yeah, so that's, that's my next big thing coming up. Great. Um, so if you're, if you're local and you want to check that out, go, go do it. Yeah, please do. Awesome. Uh, I think that's a great place to wrap it up. Cool. Well, awesome. thanks so much. Yeah, no, it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, so today's show was produced and edited by Tom Obarski. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to giantrobots.fm slash 142. Thanks for listening. 